So we can check, check, three, check. two, one, zero, and we're live. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Thoughts Inside Our Head podcast featuring day one, my homie, Kurt Pruitt. What's good, dude? Not good today, Cole. I don't know. How do we feel today? You know, my voice right now is coming across pretty darn chipper. Yeah. Given <laughs> the circumstances of what we're about to talk about today, dude. It's uh it's a weird day. It's it's honestly been an insane 24 hours just in life in general. And then with what we're about to talk about just blindsiding us this morning with everything else going on in life, it's uh it's it's been crazy. So, dude, without further ado, let's uh let's dive in. You know, What's really scary about this situation, it makes you think about warfare and just random attacks because we were in our bomb shelters for this bomb from Woj. We were not ready. We were not prepared and it hit home. I was out harvesting potatoes, dude. I was not in my cement (laughs) bunker. (laughs) We were dead center. The bomb hit right on top of the corner of South Temple and 300, what is it, West? What's the... just about, yeah. yeah Third West. Right, there you go. Boom! Basically the center of the city. Some say it's the temple. Some say it's Vivint, Cent- uh, Vivint Smart Home Arena, a.k.a. the Delta Center. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So there's. this is what I've learned about Utah. This is how I feel. There's few things that are just 100% predictable. Just f- You know it's going to happen every single day when you live in Utah. The sun coming up. Stomach aches after eating Beto's. <laughs> People mentioning that Post Malone lives in Utah. He lives here? Dude, believe it or not, dude, I heard that he has this house up in Morgan. No, yeah, Morgan. Dude, I have some friends that saw him at a party in uh, in uh, Park City, and he also wore a University of Utah hat on Joe Rogan. No, Did you know that? he wore a U of U hat on Joe dude, Rogan. Dude, he's a big Utah guy. Stop. Okay, go on. I didn't know you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> and ultimately, dude, taxes and the Miller family owning the Utah Jazz. Well, one of those things is no longer true. We received the news this morning. From Adrian Wojnarowski, stating that the Millers, the Miller family, has sold the Utah Jazz to Ryan Flatbrim Smith at Qualtrics. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot to unpack here. What in the world is going on? Um, the day of, like, it's gonna we're gonna watch the dust settle and see what's going on here. But initial reactions, like you said. I never thought I would live to see the day that the Jazz weren't, especially after the trust. Dude, this was when, when did that happen? Like two years ago, maybe? I don't know. It, it's all time warp at this point, but within, yeah, I feel like it was within a year or two. Right. And for people who don't know, Gail Miller, wife and widow of Larry H. Miller, put the team into a board of trustees, which happened to be the family, um, the remaining Millers, so the team couldn't sell and change locations basically after she passes uh the inheritance goes the, to the entire family it's spread across everybody else and it was really like a uh surefire way to make sure the team's still here um and you know you go to bed at night knowing that the jazz are always going to be in utah and i'm not saying that they're leaving or anything but um the millers just don't own the jazz anymore which is beyond me i mean larry brought him over here in what 77 79 maybe uh, it was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Barristone? Sam Battistone or Barristone or and whatever his name is? And then bought him and from him. Bought a minority uh, piece and then bought the rest of it in like 85, I think. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, it's, it's really weird. And I, I want to just take a moment here and just talk about, you know, 
how much I appreciate the Miller family and what they've done for not just like the Utah Jazz and, and you know, bringing a, an NBA team to Salt Lake City, but, you know, they really put Utah and Salt Lake on the map for, you know, sports and being a place, a destination for people to come to. Um, they were, you know, trailblazers in that. So, um, and in fact, I was reminiscing as we got the news and I was kind of getting ready for this pod. I was watching a video on Larry and it was a little tribute to him in the last frame. It's really touching, actually, and I'm not being like facetious at all about this. Um, they ask him, you know, what what do you want your epitaph to say and read? And he sits there and he, he actually gets emotional. Um, and he says, you know, I want someone to be walking outside the arena one day and ask his dad who Larry Miller was. And his response, you know, what he wants the the response to that question be is just a man who loves Utah. And um, that's really, you know, you can't think of Utah without, or in the Utah sports world and just Utah in general without thinking the Millers. Um, obviously, that's changed in the past few years with the tech boom here. Um, it's not so much just Miller land anymore, um, which is a good thing. You got to love diversity there. Um, but yeah, it's it's just really sad. And, you know, even during the finals, and we talked about this on our last pod, I think, or two pods ago, um, Van Gundy was talking about, you know, franchises that are just steady ships and that other franchises try to model themselves after. And it was San Antonio, the Heat, and the Jazz, um, which was really cool to be one of those three that are always recognized. Um, and it's usually us or the Spurs, to be honest, of the teams that are always recognized about, you know, a right. team that's always consistent, well-managed. And yeah, it's really sad. You know, it's one thing that you could always rely on is that um, you had owners that cared about the team. Um, and there was always referred to as like a team ran like a small business or a mom and pop shop. That's kind of how the Millers ran um, the jazz. And, and, you know, you, you hear players like say Derek Favors, who really just got a connection with Gail and, and Larry beforehand, he, how passionate he was about this team. And it's just really, it's really hard to see. It's, you know, it's changing of the guard and, and it's just the team we grew up loving is just not the same in any sense of the word anymore for better or for worse, but it's just not the same. Yeah, man. I guess that's one thing that is constant. It's change, right? And it's sad that we've seen so much change in, in such a small amount of time, honestly, between Larry passing, obviously Coach Sloan, you know, really passing the torch to, well, Tyrone Corbin, unfortunately, to Kermit. And then... Uh, <laughs> that's a footnote. <laughs> that's a footnote in the jazz history is Ty Corbin, okay? Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, I mean, honestly, if you look back over the last 12 years, it's it, everything is completely different. Um and it's crazy. I, I know some, like, kind of going back to what you were saying, you know, Larry was, you know, a homegrown Utah kid that, you know, grew up under humble circumstances. And, you know, they dropped, he and Gail both dropped out of college because they were, I, I can't remember exactly what the story is. This is just coming coming from an idiot that doesn't know the full story. <laughs> but I remember they were, they were both struggling and were afraid. I think they were afraid to lose their house. So they had to drop out of college to get jobs and Larry was a struggling entrepreneur, and I think if you read the book Driven, I know my mom, <laughs> my mom loves that book. Is it by him? I think, yeah, uh, yes, I think so. And it's just like the, the Larry H. Miller story. I might go back and read it now. But uh, right. I know I'm pretty sure at one point when he was considering buying the Jazz, and it, it was going to put him in like a, a difficult financial situation to begin with to come up with that capital, I'm pretty sure he consulted with somebody pretty high up in the church. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm not kidding. As crazy as it sounds, this is on the record. And somebody in the church, and I don't know if it was like, it was probably around Ezra Taft Benson, Howard W. Hunter. I'm not sure if it was the actual president of the church at the time or someone, but whoever this, uh, this leader was encouraged Larry to do it because of how it would, how it would transform the state. And 
it's just interesting that like that the buying of the jazz by the Miller family and their subsequent efforts to not only keep them here but have them be a focal point in the state how it affected really everything else you could say that it you know there's impact on the olympics coming here um and obviously a bunch of other things you know the a bunch of other things ultimately that you know who knows maybe even it's i guess what i'm trying to get at is i wonder what the sequence of events or what utah would be like right now had had the millers not gone through the effort of keeping the jazz here because the jazz really put utah on the map and obviously that has to do with carl malone and john you know doing their thing but uh i just think it's interesting to think yeah how the state would be different and another thing to think about too is just like put yourselves in that family's shoes i mean you can say what you want and there's you know reports that maybe this might have been a dodge around greg um taking control of everything and apparently he didn't want anything to do with the jazz after his mom passed away or whatever who knows what's true or and what's not about that but um, you think about Gail right now and how much this team meant to her and her husband, and it was like that last thing that her and her husband had, and she just had to part ways with it. Um, and we're assuming that this is because, you know, COVID and the the crisis and you know the toll it took on the um, Miller Company, and it's just it's really hard to see in that sense. Dude, yeah, when you're, I mean, principal um, method of business is, you know, uh, movie theaters and obviously sporting events and you know, to a smaller degree car dealerships and things like that and and when we're in an economic recession and you're competing against guys like you know tech wizards like steve balmer um like Cy on the nets i mean you name it the who, who owns the warriors i can't remember what well, doesn't matter either way the uh the, the millers being a mom and pop you know type run organization you know they they're i don't know how to exactly put it but unfortunately they're becoming the what the smaller fish in the big pond yeah and i think gail realized that it was time to i mean time not necessarily to cut bait but to hand the jazz off to an owner that honestly has a ton more money to put into it and obviously there's a care factor there and we'll talk about that in a second but i think she felt like it was time and i mean i can't imagine how hard it was for her to cut bait and maybe it was a little a little relieving honestly but you know, either way, it's, it's still crazy that it happened, you know, and at this point too, maybe she gets to find some happiness in her later, you know, years of life. And she doesn't have to stress about an NBA team anymore, which I'm sure is 24 seven, 365 job. Like you're never taking days off when it comes to owning a, a franchise. So, um, yeah, shout out to the Millers for my childhood in a way. And to speak back on that trust, so when this whole trust thing was announced that the Jazz were being put into a family trust, um, this was like a year and a half ago, and that really, I, I'm pretty sure everybody got the idea that it just meant that the Jazz weren't leaving the Miller family, and that it basically prevented the sell of the Jazz to any outside organization or a potential owner, and that's kind of how that was touted, and Gail came out and said today, and I quote, much attention has been given in recent years to my putting the team in a legacy trust. This was done in connection with my estate plan and with the objective of assuring our loyal jazz fans that the team would remain in Utah. I'm fully persuaded that with the sale, the objectives of the trust will be honored. So there's some uh, flexibility in that writing, I think. Yeah, there's some language there that's... Fully persuaded. Right. I mean... 
that, there's, that, yeah. There's language there that doesn't make it sound like a sure thing. Feels semi-flimsy. Yeah. Um, and the new owners have made the same commitment to keep the team in Utah. Right. This transaction will unlock opportunities that will allow us to continue our stewardship in ways not possible until now. Our mission is and will continue to be to enrich lives. So, like, being the naive person, I guess, that I am, and I've always trusted the Millers and what they've done with the Jazz, maybe this is, like, the one last promise that they'll keep, that Gail's keeping, is that she truly believes this isn't going to leave, and, she, you know, that promise is true. Um, and to give Ryan Smith credit, the CEO of Qualtrics, who just purchased the team for what what we decided it was like 1. 1. 1. 6, 1. 1. 1.6 billion dollars um he's a utah born and raised you know homegrown guy too so it's going from homegrown to homegrown um everything on the national media side you know it's not there's no like talks of the team leaving or anything and the only thing that i'm sketched out about and i wouldn't be if i didn't know or have heard this a few weeks ago um is i know a guy who worked pretty high up at the jazz organization um, on the sales and marketing side of things. You know, he knew, you know, a lot of the higher ups within the organization um, and he moved to Real Salt Lake. And why that's poignant is because everyone thought Ryan Smith would buy Real Salt Lake, but the reason he didn't go for that team is because quote, he always wanted to bring an NBA team to Seattle. So why I, I don't know. I mean, at this point, maybe Ryan didn't know that the Jazz were for sale and that he could keep a team here. And obviously, a team in Utah is like his number one dream, but maybe, you know, the market size up there and stuff, you can't just turn away from um, putting a team in Seattle. I don't know why or what or what his reasoning was. or That's all I know. I don't want to, like, throw gasoline on a fire that doesn't exist and light the match to, <laughs> to blow it up. Um, but there was, you know, that was said. So, like, that was my initial, like, I'm stressed. Um, and... I asked him today, um, I can actually quote this, I'm not going to say names, obviously, and a very sick thing is I, I pulling You're up pulling a, up LinkedIn, a LinkedIn, for heaven's sake conversation with him. Um, let's see, so... Um, He's going through thousands of uh Yeah, I got a lot job, of people uh, reaching out. A guy who knows Ryan real well... Said, I can't comment, but this is going to be interesting. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, boy. So, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Obviously, this is, like, the worst reporting. Like, I'm being a sensationalist right now. Dude, inside information tends to be the most true. Right, but I have no idea who this guy is, who he's talking about. I have no idea how reliable this guy he is talking about. Um, But, you know, like, definitely don't, like, turn your back to, you know... Like trusting someone you just met and turning your back to them that they're not going to shoot you in the back or put a knife there either. So, yeah, that's the thing, dude. Is like with the Millers, we know he gets stability. So let's let's talk, dude. What what are the worst? Like what does what what does this mean going forward? Right. For me, you know, best case obviously is the same same goal win a championship. Um, a lot of people are coming out saying like, yeah, he'll throw money and more money into the organization because he's got more money in the world than anyone would ever need. Um, another thing though, we like. And this is a, a conversation that people keep coming at me is like, yeah, he's going to spend money on players, this, this, and that. Um, the league is set up to where 
there, you know, there is a salary cap and we're usually right around that salary cap every year. It's not like, you know, the Millers were just trying to nickel and dime everybody all the way through. I mean, there's contract limits that you can give players. It's not like he's going to throw billions of dollars into contracts. Um, in fact, I, I pulled this up to be ready for this. Um, in the past, I guess, six seasons. Wait, dude, gross. Put that away. <laughs> Sorry, Em. Past six seasons. So in 2014-2015, five teams went into the luxury tax. 15-16, seven teams went into the luxury tax. 16-17, and 17, only two teams. 17-18, and 18, four teams. 18-19, five teams. And then the 19-20 and 20 season, only four teams went into the luxury tax. So it's not a common occurrence that owners are willing to just start throwing money at players and, and you know, paying more than what they should be. It's, you know, it's still a business for them. It's still a, a way for them to make money and it's an investment. So I'm not saying that like, he's not going to be willing to pay players or anything like that. I think that's going to stay the same, but a benefit is he can throw money at the jazz organization in the sense of giving them better facilities, which funny enough, we notoriously have some of the best f- facilities, you know, in the league. Um, but you know, other things too, and other incentives to get players here, like that's not out of the realm of possibility whatsoever. So I'm not saying that. All I know, I mean, to say this, so I know at least four people that work for Qualtrics. I don't know if we feel like naming them by name over this just because we want to protect their identities in case they don't want to be associated with the company (laughs) of the man who potentially could take the Utah Jazz out of Utah because you might be partially to blame. Um, But I know a lot of these guys are, are software salesmen and tech salesmen. And if there are certain points throughout this tenure of Ryan, um, at Ryan Qualtrics, where maybe we don't land a marquee free agent because we can't offer top dollar. I'm putting those failures on your guys' heads. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it, but there are some times where maybe you need to work that extra hour. Maybe you need to make that extra call. You need to start closing just a little more business. Guys, 1% better every day. That's what we do in tech sales. 1% better every day. Make the extra call. Make the extra email. Get more money into Ryan Smith's pocket so we can offer those contracts to marquee players. Do you MFs want Giannis Antetokounmpo on the Jazz? Or do you want to see him dilly-dallying around with freaking Luke in Dallas? It's up to you. If you want him here, you better start making those gosh dang calls. That's on you. Close... What is it? Coffees for closers. Get some caffeine and start closing. Speaking of, I'm gonna pick up the phones <laughs> and dial. <laughs> Meanwhile, I think the 350 milligrams of caffeine just cooked, just yeah. We in. we drank this a little late, so shout out to my wife, what she's gonna be dealing with with a baby that doesn't sleep and a husband that's not gonna sleep tonight. I got a, a few more sips left in my can here um, of the adrenaline shock that we had last episode. So um, <laughs> shout out to adrenaline shock. I spelt it with a Q in our text. It's actually S H O C. So my bad on that. Yeah, it's last night I got home at just past midnight, which means my workout this morning was fueled by an extra 300 milligrams of caffeine because I had early appointments. And it's a vicious cycle because here I am <laughs> up for this podcast at 8, 8 o'clock at night by pounding another 300 milligrams so I won't sleep tonight. Yeah. And then the vicious cycle repeats itself. Anyway. Um, where were um, we at? So, oh, we got to give Ryan Smith some credit here, though. Like, we can't just here and drag the guy through the dirt. Um did great things at Qualtrics. I mean, obviously, it's very well known in the business world here that he just sold to SAP um, like a few years ago now, maybe two years ago now, um, for what was it, nine billion, eight billion, a whole lot of money. Um, and he brought you is know, that is that like Warren Sapp? Yeah, it's it's Warren Sapp's company. Okay. Um, and you know, like 
What were you saying in 2000? What that it was? I think it was 2013. They were worth is either a million or a billion. I know that there's a big difference yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible ownership and CEO work and executive work. So he's a successful businessman for a reason. It was a billion. Um. So yeah. Okay. Eight X what right. it was worth. Yeah. Um. In a few years. So you know that's great. Um. I mean, he's unproven in the sports world. So we, I think we're very valid in our um, weariness towards this. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the thing too, and this is the conversation that we've had over and over again. Sorry, I'm hijacking this. You're good, dude. Um, meddling in basketball operations. That's could be the worst case scenario, obviously. So looking back, we just sung the praises of, of dear old Larry for, for, you know, a few minutes there. And he was, he was a meddler. Honestly, he was literally in the locker rooms for all we know, shaking Greg Foster for not getting rebounds, you know, in the 99, 97. To his credit, that's pretty warranted. (laughs) It's pretty warranted. Not going to blame him, but he, a a well-known meddler, right? And then obviously when he passed away, Gail stepped back. Obviously Greg took a little more supposed charge, but in all reality, he was just frosting his tips sitting in the third row. (laughs) Um, And for the most part left the management of the team to, you know, Steve Starks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, now with the new owner, Maybe, I mean, he's, what, 40? He spent a lot of time, I would have, actually, I'm not going to say he spent a lot of time, but he's probably played 2K franchise mode a little bit, and he's probably built a couple teams on on franchise mode in hard, and maybe won a couple championships. Who knows? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what types of transactions, what deals he had to get done, if he was playing along with the the salary cap or not, but, you know, once, sometimes there's these, these guys, and you can name James Dolan, for instance, on the Knicks. Um, he's the owner of the Knicks and he's arguably the reason they're still a dumpster fire. I don't think it's arguably, it's probably well, like, yeah, I mean, he is the reason that they're a dumpster fire. I mean, you look at Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, they haven't been good since when? Um, I want to say ever, but mid nineties. Screw you, Flint. Yeah, screw Flint. Um, I mean, they've been decent, but okay. Well, nonetheless, you think, and then there's guys like, uh, Ballmer, Steve Ballmer bought the Clippers. Definitely someone who's actively involved. And the story is yet to be told there. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but he's put together a decent team. Obviously, he's one of the richest men in the world. Um, and then you've got Mark Cuban, who's also definitely has an active hand in that, a, how the team works. A successful hand. Right, too. a successful hand. And so there's there's a few positive examples out there. But also, if we look at you know guys like Robert Sarver, the owner of the Suns, we look at um, other, other actively involved owners that have honestly thought they're smarter than the people they hired to do the jobs in the first place and they end up screwing things up so i don't know what ryan's gonna be like it seems like even in past like just on twitter like he's got he's had decent interactions with jazz players um and i know a lot of jazz players gave him a shout out obviously gave the millers a shout out today too so i don't know if this guy's you know thinks he's some hot shot that has the secret like the rest of us armchair quarterbacks do um (laughs) and we know exactly what's best for the team and i don't know if he's gonna be involved with uh you know a lot of those decisions or if he's still going to leave things up to guys like justin zanuck and dennis Lindsay and quinn to make decisions but we'll see that's that is scary though and what's really cool for him and we were just talking about this is this guy's living out his dream of growing up and buying the team that he rooted for which is dope so shout out to him for doing that this is a side note this is one of the mailbag questions that we opened it up to but i think it's relevant just to bring it up right now kurt Jackson Stevenette, shout out Jay Stevenette, shout out Brotherhood of Iron, get that PR tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Squattober. Uh, oh my gosh. Honestly, Nate, 345, get to parallel. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna bleep that out just for the sake of bleeping. It's, it's a little sick. <laughs> it's kidding. a little sick. But just kidding. Brotherhood lives. Um, if you were to buy the Jazz tomorrow, what is the very first change that you would make? Ask Jackson Stevenette. 
Jackson, I would make it a point to turn it back to the Delta Center. Ooh. I, I, I don't... I don't... I don't know how that works or anything behind that, but I would be hell-bent on bringing back the Delta Center. Dude, the more I learn about uh, how the higher-ups in this country operate and of, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, you know, selling their souls to the devil and doing a bunch of crazy stuff, like, there's a possibility... I mean, obviously, Delta's in rough shape right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, who knows? I mean... Well, maybe I could buy the arena and just call it the Delta Center. Yeah, or... I mean, honestly, if you're Ryan Qualtrics and you've got that kind of money and our friends are closing these cells, maybe they could buy Delta. If these friends are closing the cells and that's true. And then turn, yeah, for sure. Good so, um, yeah, when, 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 oh, when I, go on. Go no, on. I was going to say, I think that's great because the Delta Center is the classic name. It's the name that, uh, under which we played on the greatest stage. The most watched NBA finals in history was played at the Delta Center. It's true. So why not bring it back? And it just rolls off the tongue. Dude, there were times I remember when I was like flying from Arizona to Utah when I was a kid and I'd be flying on a Delta plane and I'd see a United plane out the window and it like there's like a little bit of dist it put a little bit of a distaste oh, yeah. in my mouth. We obviously only flew Delta. The Bulls played obviously in the United Center and uh, that's how long that rivalry has persisted. So yeah. and now United Airlines is like yanking doctors off planes and I think spiders are falling out of cabinets. I think that's what happened last year. So yeah, they've really or scorpion. Scorpion. That's right. It's dead bit some dude. <laughs> maybe, maybe worse. Okay. Anyway, um, let me let me spit this question back to you, Colby. Somehow, in some way, you make billions of dollars in some sort of investment or whatever wealth management thing you do it turns really good for you. You found out um, that there's a hybrid of Bitcoin and actual currency and gold, and you invested a ton of money in it. And it turned into beyond your wildest dreams, and you just bought the Utah Jazz. What's the first thing you're doing? Shout out to Carl. Um, the only way this is happening is if our investment in uh, LHSIF, which he unfortunately had to sell out of, but I'm still crying to the bottom if that happens to hit it big, and I sell. <laughs> and uh, um, we're going to get and I buy the Jazz. Uh, the very first thing, and this is a no-brainer. The answer came to my head as soon as I read the question: is I'm finding a way to. I don't know. Maybe the jazz, the half jazz bear, goes on a little uh, a little yacht ride and somehow disappears into the deep dark sea. I don't know how it's gonna happen, but one way or another, the half jazz bear's out of here. That thing is creepy. He honestly, the whole purpose of why of, are you going after a half bear, dude? We both know that there's something nefarious going on under that suit. I don't know what it is. I said this before. I'll say it again. There's nothing under the suit. It's a real half bear, dude. Dude, next time you're at the jazz game. Please, heavens, it might be in the next three so, years at this point. Who knows? All if I'm that saying, half bear ventures by you, look into those eyes and tell me there's not something going on. You got Bear using his balloon launcher to the upper deck. You got the the hype men throwing the balls into like middle, upper, lower bowl. Kurt's talking tough right now, but I see the hair on the back of his neck standing up, even <laughs> no, thinking I'm, about looking at the eyes of this half bear. What I'm saying is who's going to be throwing the balls two rows up? The jazz dancers, dude. Have you seen their form? Some of them are great. I've seen one sling it, dude. No, they've got the same form as 50 Cent throwing a first pitch at a Mets game, dude. <laughs> it's, it's bad. The, the, the front row the front row is well taken care of by, on the, by the jazz dancers. Um, Man, but that little bear, he waddles around. No, He's always happy no. waving. The kid's like, half bear, half bear. Dude, needs no, to take, he needs to take a one-way trip to the bottom of the aloof. <laughs> you can take bear out, though. I don't, people sit here and say, jazz bear, hall of fame, this, this, and that. That dude... I'm just going to say, don't say it. Jazz bear. Don't say it. 
Well, let's just say 1999, Cardiac Canyon, Bear, we got some beef to settle. Me and Barnes have some beef to settle with this guy, okay? I know a guy that knows where he lives. Okay, well, let's... Well, which one? The guy that just got fired for who knows what? <laughs> yeah, Honestly, the best... <laughs> The best thing that happened about the bear getting booted is that one dude with the yellow uh, or the blonde like Alan Handy. Alan Handy. <laughs> Alan Handy's out. That's a great win. Alan Alan Ed Hardy Handy. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't see whenever the cameras because his bejazzled, bejeweled uh, pockets on his jeans would just. Psh, I'm pretty into sure my he's face. half the reason I had to get LASIK because I was blinded <laughs> by those freaking bedazzled jeans every jazz game I went to. <laughs> Man, he is. He was everything I'm not. Okay. Um. Good. Good question, Jackson. But. Um, is there anything else we want to touch to touch with on Ryan Smith acquiring the team? All I know is there's going to be lots of jokes about his last name being Smith and some owner with the last name Smith owning the Jazz from yeah. outside sources. I figure that's going to be fun to deal with. Yeah, um, or is you know our team going to walk out to Justin Bieber's baby because he dresses like Justin Bieber <sighs> did in 2008? Yeah, I hopefully uh, hopefully our guy Jordan Clarkson can uh, send his stylist over to Ryan's please. Ryan's way and. Uh, Get our guy a little swagged up, because um, um, Clarkson's just dripping. Here's one thing, and we were going to talk about this before the Jazz news broke, but you know, this is it, it throws another another wrench in this machine. Is you know, Rudy Gobert potentially being traded? There's a lot of national talk about this. He and Ryan Smith are really close because five for the fight. Does this change that at all? It's going to be interesting, man. This could be the first thing that there could be some potentially meddling in one way or another. I, I thought the first thing I thought was it'll be interesting to see if uh, Ryan Smith is a Rudy Gobert fan. But, I mean, think about this. This could go two ways. Either A, he is a big fan, but the Jazz... And some outside sources are pretty hell-bent on saying that the Jazz are willing to trade Rudy. Bill Simmons in particular, um, amongst others. Um, and so it's, it'll be interesting to see like how serious that talk is. But let's say... Dennis and, and Zanuck are willing to trade Rudy and they've got a trade drawn up and uh, Ryan Qualtrics jumps in, jumps in and says no. First or meddling. vice versa. Or Ryan says, hey, we got we to gotta dump him. First, and, uh, the first meddling is going to be the Rudy it, situation. It could be the first meddling. Or who knows? Maybe he steps back and uh, let's let the powers that be you know, handle their business like Gail would. So here's, here's an optimistic take. We talked about Qualtrics you know, multiplying eight times in just a few years in its value. You don't get to that point of a business and growth without listening to others' opinions and understanding that you don't know everything about certain aspects of whatever it is. Hopefully, he takes that same approach to the Utah Jazz. All I know is if I were to buy a hospital, I wouldn't be jumping in as the freaking cardiac surgeons or the cardiologists are about to do a you name what you name it procedure on uh, on somebody's heart, right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell them what to do, even though I own the hospital. Same thing here. That's all I'm going to wow, say. Wow, what an isn't analogy. Colby is the king of analogies. You're the analogist. I don't know what to say to that, but I'll take it. Thank you. I got you. Um, so yeah, man, we'll see. Uh, this is the kind of the crazy thing is now um, sources are saying that the Jazz or the NBA in general is looking to kind of speed up the time frame of when the season's going to start. Initially, they're thinking, oh, we'll, we'll ride COVID out. We'll get fans in the seats by March and then we'll just roll with it. But given the fact that ratings were super terrible throughout the uh, the fall and summer, and the fact that it looks like COVID's not going away anytime soon, um, and they just want to really try and salvage the 21-22 season, 
We could have games as early as December 22nd, dude. What? Which means, of course, training camp starts at the beginning of December. When does free agency start then? Which means free agency basically starts like tomorrow. That's not a fact, <laughs> but it's going to have to. It's going to have to start yeah, soon. Yeah, you got to. And the draft is going to take place sometime this next month. And honestly, we're going to have NBA basketball back real quick. We'll have to talk about the, the implications of that and having such a short turnaround later. But yeah. all I know is it looks like... Uh, That's wild, man. It, it, you know, we were talking about having a long winter. And uh, not seeing basketball until March, it looks like we're getting an early Christmas there's present. A, there's a dream of spring earlier. Um, there's a lot like that goes into this money-wise and, like you said, ratings-wise. And there's a lot of people, I'm sure, crunching insane numbers. Um, we just said a few weeks ago that Adam Silver was hell-bent on making sure fans were there. Um, and it just doesn't seem like that's reality. Because, again, and, and Rosillo brought this up on his pod, and you just alluded to it. You're thinking about seasons beyond just next at this point. So how how quick can we get to normalcy? Do you just swallow it up in one season and take all the L's you possibly can and um, just set the ship right early or do you make it a gradual thing? So that's the decision they're going to make. And if it's sooner rather than later, I mean, I'm stoked on that. Yeah, I'm for it. Hopefully <laughs> they can pull it off. And uh, I mean, you got to have the NBA on Christmas. Dude, I know. it's Honestly, at this point, the best part actually it's not no who am i kidding it's not the best part of christmas but it definitely it accentuates christmas christmas is my favorite holiday and uh, it just makes it all much better especially when the jazz are playing on christmas and destroying portland like they did two years ago last year we got hosed anyway anyway dude speaking of fall sports uh last night the world series ended it did the dodgers from los angeles defeated the rays from tampa bay or tampa bay if you're a, a tom brady fan <laughs> Um, dude, I know, I know you're glued to the world series. What are your, what are your quick thoughts? So I was glued on my phone and we'll get into this. What was on the TV? Um, while I wasn't actually on the TV, oh, but I heavens. was glued on my phone. Um, here's a take from a guy who doesn't watch a lot of baseball. Maybe a few playoff games here. Maybe, you know, a game that's on, I'll watch an inning or two throughout the season. But, um, explain to me as a very, um, Fairweather baseball fan, why they pulled Snell? Gary? I don't know. Gary Snell, whatever his, I don't know his first name. The SpongeBob's dude, pet? Yeah. Gary the Snell? <laughs> no, why? I'm sorry, that's too sick. Why did they, why did they pull the guy off the mound that was absolutely slaying the Dodgers? Dude, so I'm going to answer that question in two ways. First things first. Have, have you seen Moneyball? Yes, I, I just recently watched it again. Moneyball is a fantastic movie. Shout out to Carl Hafen. Shout out to Chase Norton. We watched it at Kaysville Theater when it came out. Probably the best movie I've ever seen at Kaysville Theater. Maybe second to... Well, actually, National Treasure is probably second. Good Van movie. Helsing is a... It's a third place, but it's a far back third place. Ah, I saw Van Helsing with Nick and Mitch. <laughs> the one with... Uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, Hugh Jackman? It might have been. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good movie. Not, no, 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 it's not. Just kidding. Um, so... Anyway, there was this revolution in baseball, starting with Billy Bean and the A's. The A's, obviously, um, obviously out of Oakland. And it's basically a revolution of analytics, a new way to create teams and design teams and right. to play the game. And it revolutionized the game, and it seeped its way into the NBA, and now it's basically like commonplace everywhere. Um, but it's taken an advanced turn for probably the worse. Um, and the Rays are a prime example 
of this going haywire. So the Rays have been one of those early adopters of analytics and they've kind of taken it to a new level. So they've had all these kind of wonky ideas that are very non-traditional when it comes to baseball, like starting a reliever to start the game, having him pitch an inning or two, then bringing in a starter to pitch the remaining like seven innings. They, they have a bunch of crazy things based on these analytics that their computers and nerds spit out. Ultimately, last night, it's game six, the Dodgers are up three to two. So it's a must win game for the Rays. And they have their best pitcher on the mound, the Rays do. His name's Blake Snell. He won the AL Cy Young um, Award, which is the basically for the best pitcher in baseball, or in the AL at least, um, last year. And he is absolutely dealing. He was lights out, man. The Dodgers hitters honestly looked like a bunch of blindfolded two-year-olds swinging at a freaking invisible pinata. They could not hit the ball. I've never seen so many strikeouts. Dude, he's filthy. He looks like a joke. Apparently, he's got great sneaker swag. Um, he's a sneakerhead, and uh, he's, okay, he's okay, tight okay. with a lot of players. When in the people NBA. say sneaker swag and he's a sneakerhead, that doesn't necessarily mean he has good taste because sneakerheads are insane. But go on, a hundred percent. But apparently, he's well respected in the sneaker circles. Okay. Um, so he's kind of, uh, and I know Royce O'Neal and Donnie actually played uh, with DK Metcalf and him. Um, All four Call of, of Duty guys? during the COVID times. Yeah, those four were on a team. That's hilarious. It's way random. Anyway. So this guy's great, and the Dodgers can't hit him. He's thrown five and a third inning, I think. five. So he got one out in the sixth, and the Dodgers get one hit, and they pull him. Insane. And they bring in this guy who hasn't... I mean, he was, he was a pretty decent pitcher throughout the regular season, but not their best reliever, not their closer, and they took out Blake Snell, who was literally, as they say in baseball, shoving, and right off the bat, Mookie gets a double. And the wheels fall off. They the Dodgers score a couple runs. They're up what three to one at that point, and it's over. And yeah, there's no looking back at that point. And the only reason that Blake Snell was pulled was because these analytics said, well, he's gone through the order. He's faced the Dodgers three times, and so it's likely that they're going to start get a feel for how his pitches are moving, and it's time to take him out, basically. So I equate this to, dude. Have you seen the Office episode where Michael and Dwight? are delivering like candy or like gift baskets to yeah. their and they they, and they have this GPS pond, yeah. yes they have this GPS and this GPS is they're fascinated by this GPS i think it was when GPSs were at least car in the cars for like one of the first few times i don't know either way michael's driving following this GPS and this GPS is supposedly taking him to a client but they're on this it takes him to this launch ramp of this pond or lake mm-hmm. and it's saying proceed forward when clearly they're both looking at this water this body of water that they clearly cannot drive through it's a freaking lake yet because the GPS says it they ignore reality and drive straight into the lake and sink the car <laughs> when so funny so they throw rationality, that. reason and what's actually going on completely out the window in favor of this at this point in time flawed technology's output and uh, as a result, they pay the price. And clearly, the Rays ignored all signs here. Yeah, like the the intuition at that point, the human intuition just was like, no, we're trusting the computers. Yeah. Instead of leave the dude in who the Dodgers can't hit, we're gonna trust the computers, despite what reality tells us at this point. Beside, but despite what our eyes are telling us, and as a result, they lost the game and the series and the series. And now the Dodgers are world champions. The curse is broken because math. The curse is broken because Matt. So, so long answer to my question, why they pulled him was what you just gave me. Right. Short answer is it's Jonah Hill's fault. A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Cool. On yep. the same page. Yep. Um, and so honestly, good for the Dodgers. I'm a Diamondbacks fan. We play in the same division. 
I don't hate the Dodgers for some reason. I hate every other NBA team other than the Jazz for the most part, but in baseball, again, thanks to the MLB for blocking out all Diamondbacks games, even though we shouldn't. That's another beef that we've covered multiple times. Um, The Dodgers were fun to watch. They got screwed when the Astros cheated in 2017. Clayton Kershaw deserves to have an MV or a ring, excuse me, as well as Justin Turner and a few others. Justin Turner tested positive in the seventh inning for coronavirus <laughs> and gets pulled. That was wild, and then, dude. And then they're taking pictures at the very end, and he's just sitting front row, just chilling. <laughs> but uh, I think it's dope. And again, to kind of answer a mailbag question along the way, uh, Kelly Wilding, shout out Kelly Wilding, um, one of the best uh, pickleball players I've ever actually played against, um, asked a question and says. And it's, it's, it's a little misplaced, but she says, Nick says you don't like the Dodgers, but they got some sweet players. Do you like any of them? And I'll say, first of all, I don't necessarily hate the Dodgers. I'll be honest. Like I mentioned, uh, I, I like a, a few of their players. I'm actually really stoked for pretty much all of them. Um, I like Clayton Kershaw. Again, he kind of had a bad reputation for not doing well in the playoffs. So shout out to him. Um, he kind of broke that reputation. Now it'll never come up again. Um, I like Corey Seager. He's dope. Uh, Honestly, Justin Turner, he's ugly as all get out. He looks like, uh, who's like the crazy redheaded guy on, on uh, the Muppets that like, is it Animal? That plays the drums? Yes. He looks like Animal. He looks like, he looks like Animal and he looks like Tormund from yes, Game of Thrones. Yes, from Game of Thrones. Um, Mookie Betts, obviously from the Red Sox, uh, who was traded in some miraculous trade. He's probably the face of baseball at this point. He's incredible. Um... Honestly, I'm stoked for all those guys. So, so good for them. Joe Kelly, shout out Joe Kelly. That was awesome. I just Joe Kelly was the dude that threw at the Astros. So yep. shout yep. out to him. Yep, and he's gotten in fights with the Yankees as a Red Sox. Anyway, that's a lot of baseball talk for this pod. I know that's not quite the demographic, but we had to cover it. So, um, yeah. So shout outs to Kelly Wilding because she's uh, from technically I think her family's from San Diego. So I don't know why she's not a Padres fan. Um, they're well, going to be pretty good though, over the next few years. Are so. people in San Diego Padres fans? Because Honestly, the Padres have a pretty big following, I feel do like. Do they? It, especially down there. I mean, thanks to Tony Gwynn, amongst others, like they have a decent following. And, I mean, they've got a cool like uniform history, too. Those those brown jerseys are actually pretty dope. <laughs> the monk swinging the bat's pretty cool. The friar? Yeah, fire, friar, sorry. It's all right. Anyway, so congratulations on your World Series, Kelly. And to all Dodger fans out there. And uh, my Uncle Craig, who's also a big Dodgers fan. Shout out to my Aunt Nancy. She's a big Dodgers fan. So. Reverse. Yeah, never mind. I'm not going there. Reverse shout out to Flint? No. Okay, I'll do that all day. <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously. That's always a given. But uh, anyway, dude, we're going we're gonna to proceed here. Um, as now we're talking about what they call the Fall Classic, which is the World Series. Um, other things that happen in fall, we've talked about this a few times now. Halloween, dude. Oh, we got a classic Berg sweet freaking transition. Dude, I'm all about the transitions. Whoa, are you the tr- tranny king? <laughs> Technically, the, I probably... The analogist. <laughs> Honestly, the 1989 Civic that I used to drive around at high school, um, <laughs> I probably ruined the tranny on that one. And so, it, I'm just making up for it. Um, anyway... Dude, Halloween's around the corner. It's yeah. in like four days. It's been a very spooktober podcast for us. We've it had has. three episodes. I know. Shout out to us doing three episodes in October. Shout out to us for being friends and like doing it in the same room. Shout out to Intern Market and these cranked out pretty quick for us too. Oh, dude, Mark's been on top of it. Mark's been killing it. We need to maybe start paying him. I don't know. Or get him on the pod. Well, technically, you know, he is, he's been a guest multiple times. He just doesn't talk. Well, I mean, he's talked, but you're a great producer and invented him out. So once he has something good to say, we'll actually let his words, you know, persist on the pod. But, um, dude, let's let's talk a little bit more about Halloween. Um, question for you: What is your favorite Halloween memory or tradition? 
Well, tradition, I mean, as a kid growing up, it's got to be trick-or-treating. No questions asked. I mean, trick-or-treating is like opening presents on Christmas. It's so synonymous with the holiday. You're going out, you're getting candy, you're getting the good candy, you're throwing away the bad candy, you're doing candy trades, you're doing all sorts of dope things. So um, trick-or-treating is awesome. Halloween kind of turns into a when you're not so social like me. Well, I wasn't not social, but like big crowds and whatnot. As you get older, it kind of gets a little more lame with all the, you know, like parties and dancing and whatever um but i feel like the halloween grinch um agreeing with you but i kind of feel the same way yeah like it it just wasn't as like dope as a holiday but i think it's cool that you know a bunch of people dress up they celebrate spooky things and they go trick-or-treating and then me being a movie guy like shout out to halloween movies and and horror movies it's a great time just to get into the scary mood and, and watch a few movies so probably that yeah um dressing up though like growing up as a kid shout out um my mom would always like dress us up and then she would always like dress up with us which was always dope so um hopefully we could continue those like traditions in our family of us you know going kind of all out with jamie and his future um siblings of you know getting dressed up with them while we go trick-or-treating and whatnot shout to kathy for being the gold standard of parents man yeah that's rad um no dude that's that's sweet yeah it'll be (sighs) the whole costume thing is apparent I feel like it's way fun, just like we talked about last time. I'm stoked to see your ET thing. Yeah. Um, it's going to be sick. Dude, my, I'll say for me, my <laughs> it's not my favorite Halloween memory or tradition. It's probably one more that gave me PTSD more than anything. Uh-oh. But the tradition in my family, for whatever freaking reason, I don't know where it came from or why, but it was tradition to have like have like chili. Like my mom would make okay. chili on very, Halloween. Very fall. Yeah, very fall. In preparation for maybe the cold temps, even though I remember this took place in Arizona a lot when it really was never <laughs> that cold, but for whatever reason, my sick mom, bless her heart, still f- forced us to eat chili. <laughs> we had to finish the whole bowl before we could go trick or treating. And for all of those out there that know my uh, palate, mm. delicate, we'll say delicate past when it comes to uh, eating food in the in, in past in general, just, just in, general, in general, but mostly in the past, I've I've come out of it since and have really debatable but okay mm, i think i've exceeded (laughs) i'm in a higher plane now than everybody else um but back then i wouldn't i mean just being me the last thing i wanted to do was eat a full bowl of chili before i hopped my rollerblades and wanted to hit the neighborhood you were a rollerblader i was a rollerblader me me and my best friend mike voigt shout out mike in arizona mike so just to get to more houses just to get to more houses and just bag as much candy as we can so would you base your costumes around rollerblades or you just happen to be whatever on rollerblades whatever on rollerblades okay. yeah okay, okay yeah. sorry go on chili. um but yeah so we had to we had to eat this bowl of chili and naturally i was not literally not going to have a single bite of that garbage and so each year i had to come up with some crafty way of getting rid of the chili without my parents seeing and they caught on pretty quick and there were some there were a few nights where it was getting late before i had uh, tasted the chili and eventually they'd give in and let me go so really the tradition is me putting up a fight until they finally let me go trick-or-treating i never <laughs> had a bowl of chili that's hilarious so yeah man that's a good memory were you like did you were you did you have a bag or like one of those pumpkin bucket things or were you just like a pillowcase fill up with candy dude so i started off as a pumpkin guy oh and for then sure. yeah you get i mean and then it, it just became a game of scale so yeah you needed just more real estate in yeah there. i had the same one every time it was just this like classic green pillowcase and that thing would get chock full at least it felt like it was chock full by the end of the night so you ate a lot of chalk yes of course pixie sticks chalk Chalk on Halloween, a lot of people don't know this. Chalk on Halloween is the same as coal in your stocking as Christmas. Same thing. And obviously, I was a good little kid, so I got chalk because it's the opposite because Halloween is the um, reverse function of Christmas. So we're going to chalk this up as you being number one on the sick list for that answer. (laughs) 
I'll take it. I'll take that one on the chin. That was a sick answer on my part. <laughs> and speaking of uh, of of chalk, uh, <laughs> dude, let's talk about some spooky moments in life. <laughs> now, Berg's a Dodger, swinging a miss on that one on the tranny king. Oh, the scariest man. moments. This is going to trigger some things for me, man. Dude, Qualtrics and treats. So. <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> A lot of dead space right now. Sorry, everybody. Uh, we intern Mark. Can you put a marker on this so we don't cut out all this dead space? <sighs> um, so set set some parameters here for me. Is this scary? Is in like. Just moments I was terrified or scary and spooky? We'll go with the spookiest moment. Like, maybe you dabbled with the paranormal a little bit or felt like the paranormal was dabbling with you. Okay. And we're establishing that we're saying spooky on this podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll, let, we'll let intern Mark deal with the um, PR crew on that one and we'll see. All right. So, for me, growing up, I had a lot of night terrors, actually, in sleep paralysis. Um, I was convinced... Um, for sure, my room was haunted. Um, whether or not you know you believe in the paranormal or the science behind sleep paralysis, in which your brain triggers, um, your body wakes up, but your mind's still kind of asleep, or vice versa, your body's still asleep and your mind's awake, and you kind of get trapped in this moment. Whatever it is, right? Um, that would happen to me pretty frequently. Um, I mean, to the point where like I was so scared, I talked to my mom about it all the time, and you know she would. You know, first she'd start off by saying a prayer in my room and then it got to the point where she's like, okay, I'll do like burn some incense in here and do like funny stuff to see if we get this bad juju out for Kurt. Turns out I'm just a mental head You just case. needed a freaking exorcism. Yeah, for sure. I was floating over. No, I wasn't floating over the bed. Um, but I did. My head did turn around 360. Um, I'll go to the most recent one. Um, it was a few years ago, actually in grandma's basement. So I was living in grandma's basement at the time. Um, Those are the days. And... We drafted Trey Lyles in that basement. Anyway, continue. Oh, man. You know, I think I look back on those days, like, fondly, but maybe that's just, like, Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) Remember that day that Peelant came over and got a Snapchat of somebody and showed us the picture? (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I wake up, and I'm in my bed, and it's, like, kind of twilighty, and immediately, like... So is uh, Wolf Boy there? Who's Wolf Boy? Um, Taylor Lautner. You said it's Twilighty. We're, we're really, we're we really putting Mark to the test <laughs> on this. Um, enter Mark. Put a marker on that, too. Um, so, it's, it, it's Twilighty, sorry. And, like, when you wake up in, like, sleep paralysis or paranormal or something like that, like, there's an, the initial, like, telltale is there's a feeling in your gut that something's wrong. Like, it's almost like an anxiety or just, like, People describe it as like feeling of a bad energy or just like something bad is present in the room. And I woke up and I had that feeling, the same feeling I had as a kid growing in my room growing up. Um, so obviously like triggers everything. PT, I don't want to say PTSD, but for sure, like I immediately know what's going on and I go to move my arm and it's locked tight in place. I go to move my other arm. It's locked tight in place. I start panicking, start breathing heavy. Can you actually breathe heavy? I, I it feels like I'm breathing heavy. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Um, and, like, my eyes are somewhat open. Like, like I don't know. Maybe, like, you have them um, 10% open. You can kind of, like, pick up shapes and figures or right. whatever. And um, 
so I have that bad feeling. I can't move. And then I hear like, it sounded like a hard step and then a foot dragging. Hard step, foot dragging. And it's starting on the end of my bed by my feet and working its way over to where I am on the side of the bed. Foot, hard step, foot dragging. Like someone's like has a limp or something like that, right? Like one leg's working, like some sort of like whatever it is. And then there's a pause and it felt like forever, but I'm sorry. Is, is my trauma funny? No. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Well, I'll go get to what you're laughing about after the story, but there's a pause and it's maybe like three beats and then an immense pressure on your chest. Like something's in your face. I didn't open my eyes because when I'd open my eyes as a little kid, it was super scary. Luckily, um, going through, I think what I've been through and then kind of researching what this possibly could be. Um, after the initial panic and feeling that pressure on my chest and not being able to breathe, I remembered, okay, like this isn't real. Like I just, I just need to get in control of my body and everything loosened up and everything kind of went away. Like my, the pressure on my chest was gone. And, um, because usually, you know, when you open, you see an actual face in your face, which is super terrifying. Um, which didn't happen that time because I depends who you see. I feel like yeah. I mean, if I saw Trey Lyles, I would honestly probably had a heart attack and died. So um, that that for sure is a rundown of you know the most recent spooky, terrifying moment of my life. That so is why, terrifying. Why were you laughing during it? <laughs> I, I honestly thought there might have been a happy ending to all this. Like you you hear like the limping and the dragging of the foot. And it was like, like I was thinking maybe it'd be like Larry Miller's ghost kind of. <laughs> I don't think that would be like a <laughs> click drag. It would be maybe like a roll. <laughs> it is partial. Ah, never mind. We're not going there. Yeah. Anyway, do you know like the sleep, like the science behind like why that happens sometimes? Yeah. Um, not like super in depth, but like, like I said, like you're in the, in the state of like, what, what state are you in when you're dreaming? So it's your REM sleep. So you're in REM mm-hmm. and something wakes you up to the point where like your body isn't ready to wake up, but you're kind of in between a dream state and awake. Yeah. It's scary. So supposedly from what I remember about this, your body it, uh, through evolution has basically to keep itself like, cause we used to sleep in trees way back when and fall out. And so when you're dreaming, obviously if you're like reacting to things and freaking out before you know it, you're falling 30 feet from a tree, you fall, you break your neck and then you're hyena food in you know, 30 seconds or less. Right. Right. So the body has this natural reaction where it basically paralyzes itself in its REM stage. So you don't flail all over the place and fall out of a tree. So it's scary in a couple ways. One, your body paralyzes itself temporarily, which is terrifying because mm-hmm. what if it doesn't unparalyze itself? Yeah. Um, and two, it's like, yeah, you can't like you partially wake up, your eyes are there, and but you can't like control yourself, and so it's freaky. I've had yeah. it happen a couple times. So as well. does that have anything to do with like you know you jolt awake? Is that like your body coming out of that paralysis and it wakes you up? Yeah. So it could be that your body like didn't fully paralyze itself. Cause I've actually, I've had a couple of those recently too, where like you're like flinching or like, yeah. if, if you're like, I had a dream a couple nights ago where I was pitching and randomly like, I like kind of half threw a pitch and like the movement woke me up. Okay. I was going to say, did you get shelled? Cause well, probably, yeah, <laughs> that's tend, tend to be how things went towards the latter part of my career. Um, but, uh, yeah, dude, that's that's freaky. That's terrifying. It was freaky. It was very scary, and it wasn't Larry Miller. I'm sorry. I wish it was. It really doesn't matter who you'd see. Like it's terrifying, regardless. Um, shoot, I'm trying to think, dude. I just had weird. I have weird sleep stuff. So I remember just kind of continuing along with this. When I used to have nightmares, this is actually one of the coolest things ever. When I used to have nightmares, guess how I'd escape them? 
Like if there was like when I was a kid, like if something was chasing me or how you'd escape in the nightmare. Yeah. How I'd like get away from the nightmare and like just get out of it. Enlighten me. Dude. So I must've been like seven or eight or older, but in my younger years, if I was being attacked by or chased by or anything, all I had to do was make it to the N64 in my dream. There was always an N64 somewhere. All I had to do was turn off the N64 and I'd wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Were you playing a lot of video games back then? I mean, not more than normal. I, pl- I played a fair amount, but that was always the escape route. That I was a weird ne- polar bear game. Uh, which <laughs> Silicon Valley. Honestly, all of our listeners out there, if you played Silicon Valley on N64, let me know. Hit me up. Kurt honestly is willing to believe that it doesn't exist <laughs> until I showed him. I made him watch like 10 minutes of a trailer on YouTube no, it could be in Mandela Grandma's effect. Basement. It could be a Mandela effect. No, it's not. Yeah, I did watch it in Grandma's Basement. Like Grandma's basement. Maybe 10 to 15 minutes of gameplay. Which <laughs> and Colby's like, this is where this is at. This is where that's at. And sure enough. He was right every time. Dude, it's classic N64 game. But regardless, my nightmares were never that scary because no matter how terrifying they were, I could always find the N64, turn it off, wake up, reset. All good. Anyway, um, my scariest moment, I don't really have a ton of them, but not to be like on my mission, kid, but on my mission. Um, You're, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I, yep, I uh, served in Texas, in San Antonio. In the very first area, it was a stormy fall night and... We were on our bikes earlier that day, technically, so let's we'll pre, pre, uh, preset the scene here. And on our bikes, there were these uh, homeless guys that were just out kind of by our apartment complex. Our, car, our complex was next to a big open field with a bunch of trees, and there were rumors that people were living in there. And these, uh, these homeless people came and hit us up, and they were just like, hey, did you guys hear what happened last night? And we were like, no, what, what was, what's going on? And they're like, there was, <laughs> there was a, a rival, like, I guess there's honestly like homeless people gangs. And it, honestly, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we don't need to get into. But apparently these gangs clashed and one of the homeless men was killed in the forest just right next to our place. Oh, dang, dude. So kind of freaky. Is, this goes... Kind of okay. freaky, yeah. kind of freaky. And we're like, wow, that's insane. And let's get out of here. So we, you know, we went off to do our, our thing or whatever in the Texas, uh, in the Texas fall sun. And... And you ran into Leatherface. Uh, no, we didn't run into okay, Leatherface. Okay, sorry, go on. Um, Leatherface, actually, we probably ran into the bull that has the leather on it okay but it was pre-slaughter so So the leather was still alive still like on the on the longhorn anyway we're we're skipping ahead the night comes it starts raining lightning thunder a crazy texas storm um and i'm in bed and i don't know if you've seen the meme on uh on the internet where it's like there's this like super rickety door and this cheeto and (laughs) and my favorite it's like talking about like essential oils or you know what or some i don't know something blocking off like or preventing the coronavirus or whatever and it's like that's like the lock that's holding the door closed right. is the cheeto making fun of the essential oils for not being strong enough and then ultimately well it, the other part is that it's the swat team has their big oh and they've got the battering ram battering ram they're about to smash the door right. open and that's like the lock protecting yes from, yeah so that door is my apartment door essentially <laughs> and the cheeto might as well we might as well have had a cheeto because our lock was garbage anyway that night at like one in the morning we start, it's, the rain is pouring, lightning all over the place, and we start hearing this pounding on the door. Pounding, pounding, pounding. And I'm like, if this pounding keeps up, this door is busting down. And uh, the, the dude I was on, my companion, I guess you could say, for those out there that don't know what that means, just don't ask questions. Um, <laughs> the dude, <laughs> there's real no great way to explain it. But anyway, um, the dude that, that was in the apartment, he like, we're like, what the heck's going on? And... We, we have a door to our room, so we close that door, and ultimately, 
The pounding continues. Pound, 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 pound. Nothing yelling. It's over the storm. We're freaking out at this point. What the freak could it be? Because we're on the third floor of this apartment complex, and there's a stairs that lead up to it, but there's no other rooms there. So there's this person isn't like mistaking the room or anything. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, we wake up in the morning. There's a dead cat head at the doorstep. What? And the rest is history. We don't know what happened. We don't know where it came from. There was a dead cat head at the doorstep, and that was that. I'd be more freaked out if it was a living cat head without the body, but still. Could you imagine? Maybe it was still living. That's freaky, dude. It was freaky, That's dude. Like it was a bad scary, juju it stuff. It was bad juju stuff. Whoa. Needless to say, we ended up moving like two weeks later anyway. Because of that or just... No, it was in the out. works anyway because the door, like I say, was... The, the whole apartment was super trashy. But gotcha. Anyway, that was really freaky. Probably the scariest moment of my life when I was in bed that night worrying that something insane was happening so that reminds me of a a story of when i was in saint george when a marine almost shot a guy at our apartment but it's not a scary story that's pretty scary Uh, not spooky but scary it was scary like long story short we had some friends staying with us one of they brought one of their friends he was an ex-marine told the people downstairs to be quiet that one of the kids and then um, they came running up the stairs, door was locked, they were pounding on it. <laughs> I'll never forget, because I was asleep, I had work the next morning, I come walking down the hall, I have this dude in just boxer briefs, nothing else, holding a gun, pointing it at my door as it was what? getting pounded on. Yeah, it was wild, man. Actually, I think I remember you telling me this story, when Todd and AB and I came down, and it was like, yeah. that was, it was a little much. Yeah, it was that's, a little that's much. a lot, that's a lot. Um, I don't know where to go from that, but that's terrifying. Glad okay. you made it through, dude. <laughs> I'm alive. Um, okay, dude, we're gonna continue. We're killing it. We're gonna continue right along Honestly, here. dude, it's like, I'm feeling really good on this 300 milligrams. It's 840 right now. I've been going about an hour, maybe, and I'm Probably feeling about, good. Dude, yeah, I'm, dude, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even crashing yet, so let's keep going. Dude, speaking of scary stuff and costumes and stuff and dressing up, um, a couple nights ago we watched Borat. Yes, very nice. It was a very nice movie. <laughs> and, uh, I don't really know what to say, to be honest with you, about Borat. What just what are your what's your takeaway? I think it was funny, don't you? I thought it was really funny. Um, it's you know if you're in the vein of cringy moments where you just want to like crawl out of your own skin because it's so awkward, then it's a movie for you. Yeah. Um, very funny. We actually watched it with intern Mark. Shout out to intern Mark watching that with us. Um, came over, you know, watched the movie. We played a few board games. It was a it was a fun night, and yeah. Um, it was very politically driven this time. It, the last Borat was too, don't get me wrong, but obviously with an election coming up and the, the way that uh, the world is right now, um, there's not anything much else to talk about. And it was, you know, pretty crazy timing. And the things he got away with, I mean, I wanted to listen to him, but there's a few interviews with him about how they pulled off the things they pulled off <laughs> and how they got in front of the people they got in Unbelievable. front of. Unbelievable. It was it was insane and it was hilarious. Um, he is He's so funny. Sasha Baron is so funny. Um, and actually, shout out to him. Um, if you think all I can do is stupid characters, you need to watch. Um, first of all, shout out to Hugo. It's one of my favorite like feel good movies. Um, pretty old. It's a Scorsese movie actually. So if you haven't seen Hugo, watch Hugo. He's in that. He's hilarious. But just recently, I, I think I brought this up last pod. Um, the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Yeah. He is one of the main characters in that, and he's you know really well acted movie by him. So um, yeah, but Borat Borat was great. I have no words. I All I can do is just say go watch the movie and just sit back. What and, was the most awkward one for you? Because the Giuliani thing is like the biggest, but for me, see, the moon dance. Oh, 100% the moon dance. <laughs> not, not even a question. The, the Giuliani thing was like, 
I was kind of staged, and I don't know what to think about that whole yeah. thing. Like, it wasn't like it wasn't I think as bad as people made it out. To they me. used that part for publicity, obviously, and it worked. I mean, they yeah. allegedly had tens of millions of views over right. the weekend. Right. So, I mean, that was the best publicity they could have got was to get people to watch it. But in terms of like just being in a situation <laughs> made you want to just freak out is um, that yeah with the moon dancing yeah. and not getting into much. It's just his daughter and he do a dance. Just and, just leave it there. Just it, just yeah. leave it there. Yeah, I'll leave just, it there. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. <laughs> All right, dude. Um, so we were thinking we want to do this segment where um, obviously you and I are both into music and there's just been this thing where I don't even know, really know how to bring it up, but occasionally on Apple Music, I have Apple Music and I'll just like go through the number one, like I'll go through the charts and see what like number one, like what the number one song in, in America is. And it's honestly pretty perplexing. And when you look at like what the top like hundred songs are in America, it's no wonder we're in a state of distress. <laughs> it's, it's a very accurate representation of just the decay of society. And so we thought it would be funny to, uh, to take a peek at the number one song in America right now and, uh, and talk about it a little bit. And so in, in preparation for this event, um, I, I asked you, I was like, we went, we went through it. We went through some of the names and surprisingly enough, it's a Luke Combs song. And for those of you that don't know, Luke Combs is a country singer. I'm a little bit of country. He's a little bit of country. And so um, I, 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 we wanted to kind of dissect the lyrics. And so I asked Kurt, I said, dude, what's the first, what, what is the first line in the song? Oh, wait, about for, it's, the song is called Forever After All by Luke Combs. And but he hadn't looked at it. Kurt hadn't heard the song, had no idea. I said, guess what the first line is about? A beer. And that is correct. A cold beer's got 12 ounces. And then I said, Kurt, what's the second line about? And he responds with? A truck. A good truck's got maybe 3,000 hunt. Wait, 300,000. A cold beer, a good truck, a lot of women. And then it talks about uh, Duracell batteries in a maglite. uh, (laughs) What's more American than a maglite? And this is the thing. Before, I think I've mentioned this on previous podcasts. That you're a country guy now. Dude, if you told me in 2019... That we'd suffer a worldwide pandemic, and I'd be a country music fan. Both, honestly, I wouldn't believe it. There's no no chance in heck. I'm not a big country guy. Somehow, I don't know what happened to me. We're ten months in. I'm a country fan for the most part. Actually, I'm not going to say that. I dabble in country, and there's a specific type of country that I can appreciate. There's a, and this is really this is really poignant for me to say because the band The Wonder Years, which I hold near and dear to my heart, has a lyric that goes, "Growing up means." Watching your watching your heroes turn human in front of me, and that's how I feel right now. I mean, of twenty twenty, of all the saddest things that happened, Colby being a country fan. Just kidding, man. All you I know, you. dude, is as I've I've looked over my shoulder multiple times anytime a country song comes on because if I bob my head a little bit, I'm afraid that fifteen or even twenty nine year old me is gonna <laughs> come out of the come from the past and start slapping me around. So I have to be careful. And so how much country is on your what's that playlist that we decided? When the when the homies ain't around. When the homies playlist. ain't around but fire playlist. <laughs> Maybe just a couple songs there, but it's when potentially when the girls are around, uh, the country comes out a little bit more because oh, I know yeah. they appreciate it. And honestly, I do too. A little Thomas Rhett, um, a little Chase Rice, um, a little Sam Hunt. You know, some will call it the bro country, which maybe that's it. I don't know. Dustin Lynch, a few other guys. But anyway, Dustin shout Kenser, out to them. Ken- Not Dustin Kenser. He's the lead th- singer of Thrice, so shout out to him. Um, so yeah, man, that's, uh, that's all we have there for the music thing, but uh, we'll, we'll have some more fun with 
the top charts, but that's one thing that Colby did was scroll through the top 100, top 100 songs to find something just somewhat rock, not even pop, guitar driven, guitar driven. Band, song, some band that's not anything, country. and sure enough, it was song number thirty, by "Dreams" by Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, which I mean, is only back because that one dude decided to drink some ocean spray. Which honestly, <laughs> it's a hilarious if, thing, dude. If there's a vibe or a mood, that dude is it. He is living. I love the one with the guy on the. I guess I don't know if it's a longboard or whatever that thing is, and he's got the pumpkin head on. And as soon as October comes, he throws the pumpkin latte <laughs> in front of his in his face. That's quality. Um, and then the other song is by the homie MGK, <laughs> which we talked about which last we talked pod. about last time. Uh, my ex's best friend song number 32. That's the 32nd most played song today in the world. And then that's it. That's and the I, top 100. That I have a it. feeling that like, and maybe we have to dissect this more in like a longer segment on a different podcast, but there's kind of been a death of the genre. Like there's not much difference between music anymore. In terms of like what's popular, like pop music and hip hop, and um, like house music and everything, and all of it's kind of molded into the same monster, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if it's to reach more ear- ears and be broader, brought more broadly accepted. I don't know what it is, but it seems like that's the case. That you know, it's not weird that um, Taylor Swift could feature like the dude from Panic at the Disco in an album, and then feature. Bon Iver in the next whatever album she puts out and then a few albums ago she has like Lil Wayne or something. I don't know. Whoever literally Diplo has the Zach Brown band on. Yeah, like, it's it's wild. It's it, it's crazy what's going on. It is crazy. So That's music for you though. That is music. Um so yeah, it's interesting. I mean I don't know. So we'll talk more about that later. But we have a few mailbag questions. We've incorporated a few. We're running a little bit long here, but we'll hit one real quick. We'll hit a couple. Uh this is from Taylor Carling. Shout out T Car, shout out Wizard. I said you were number one, Kurt, um, on the sick list, but T-Car probably are, takes the cake. Yeah. And T-Car asks, <laughs> what is the, and, and I quote, what is the longest time frame that Kurt, to stay in the cold plunge, have him answer of what he thinks, <laughs> and let's get him in the times this week? <laughs> Bro, so is it, can Grammarly I help in these situations? T-Car, dude, I know you're having twins. I know you're probably going a little crazy, but uh, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know what you were doing in the back of Miss um, Roderick's class. Actually, you went to Farmington. I don't know who your English teacher was, but uh, we might need to, to have a, a remedial class. Bless your heart. Um, I think what T-Car was trying to say here was, how? what is the longest time that how Kirk long could do stay I in the cold plunge? How long do you think he could last? And then... This is the thing is we have to put that to the test and get you in. Oh, no. So for those of you that don't know, T-Car and I, and I've mentioned this a million times, so you guys are probably rolling your eyes right now. But uh, for whatever reason, there's a few health benefits. We've talked about it before. But getting in a cold, very, 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 very cold body of water for three to five minutes, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, whether it's a river, whether it's the freezer that T-Car has that we can freeze to like 32 degrees or even sub 32 degrees. And uh, we sit in it for a certain period of time and it's kind of miserable, but kind of refreshing. Kurt's never done it before. Typically in T-Car's freezer, we go for about three minutes. Um, Carson Morley went for about a minute and had to give up and screamed along the way. I have the video for proof if anybody wants to see it. Um, shout out Carson. Um, but what, Kurt, how long do you think you could last? Dude, I don't even think I could do 30 seconds, man. <laughs> what, where's my benchmark? What should it be? Dude, I, I mean, you gotta, you gotta get at least a minute and a half. 
90 seconds. 90 seconds. Because you're not going to die. As long as you tell yourself you're not going to die, I feel like you can tell yourself. It all, it's all about the breathing. It's about the breathing, but it's also about, like, why am I doing this? Is it for the pod? Is it for entertainment? Dude, the benefits are twofold. There are health benefits. Actually, we'll say threefold. The health benefits, the mental discipline benefits, doing something hard and sticking to it. I feel like I'm one of those, like, Instagram influencers with a beard talking about doing something hard every day. Do I think, it. I think there might be some truth to that. I have to do get it. in my truck and tell you about it, but do it. You got to do it. Um, do it. All right. We'll, and and it's for the, yeah, we'll put it to the test. 90 seconds. 90 seconds. That's what we'll say. Um, next question. If you had to replace Kurt as your podcast co-host, who would it be? Question mark. Interns included. Shout out Mark Kaiser. Shout out intern Mark. Oh, Mark's we, after my job. Dude, Mark is after your job. The freaking coup is in. What? Shout out coup. Um, coup. I think uh, if I had to pick, I mean... On the way to Kurt's house, I was listening to this Joe Rogan podcast with Alex Jones. And uh, <laughs> if, say if I had a dollar for the amount of times that I shook my head and almost face palmed myself when Alex uh, was speaking, I'd be a pretty rich man. And so I'd probably replace him, replace you with Alex, Alex Jones, Jones, dude. How do you feel? Kobe, let me tell you something about this. Kobe, the one thing about this is, and, and, and let me go on this tangent here and also the frogs. And we <laughs> Frogs are gay. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. Thanks, man. We, we learned some really interesting things. Um, so, yeah. Honestly, more, more, more. Give me two more. Okay. Chafe16 asks, why do you hate Conley? We've been through this before, Chafe. Carl, I never said I hated Conley. All I'm saying is the beginning of the year, up until the last 20 games, he wasn't living up to $34 million a year. That's it, dude. Get off this pedestal that you're on, that you're the Conley man, and I'm not. I love Mike Conley. Dude, I don't even know what to say to that. We might end up trading him. He might stay here. I love Mike. I hope we keep I him. I love Mike. I love Mountain Mike. But the, if the price is right, the price is right. That's all I'm going to say. Um, Carl also asks, can we trust flat brim hat guys to lead Jazz Nation? And we've addressed that maybe. previously. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? And that TBD. Is, that is a TBD. And uh, Mitch Florence also asked a similar question, so shout out Flo Rida. Um, can't wait to... <laughs> I Never mind. Um... And uh, Ryan Osterlo asks, should Qualtrics give me a courtside seat next year? And that answer is clearly yes. Um, or us. He's, he's a dedicated jazz fan. And the answer is yes, of course, as long as we can come along. So, um, dude. Is that it? That's it, man. We're wrapping it up? We're going to wrap it up. Well, I mean, it's been a wild ride, Colby. <laughs> wild, wild ride. That's all I got to say. I'm crashing on this 300 milligram um, worth of caffeine right now. But, again, for real, though, like, all jokes aside... Thank you to the Millers for the great, you know, 30 years of being a jazz fan up to this point. And Reverse just, thank you to Kim. I had to throw that in there. We're not going to go into those theories, but... We will We will address Kim one day, okay? okay. We'll address Kim one day. <laughs> we actually had an entire pod um, with Tom and Carl that, uh, you know, notoriously and infamously was scrapped due to technical difficulties. <laughs> Since then, we've hired interns to make sure that doesn't happen, but... Um, there was Kim, some serious Kim slander thrown then. Kim was addressed in that podcast, and maybe we'll do it again. But again, you know, um, at this point, we can only hope for the best. Amen. In Ryan, we trust. Doesn't feel right, but in Ryan, we trust. Signing off, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, give us a, a subscribe, a rate, and review. I feel like that's necessary. And uh, shout out to all of our sponsors, including Adrenaline Shock uh, Energy Drinks. 
Um, Crave cookies. Shout out to the Biscoff Explosion. It's really, really good. A top cookie of all time. And uh, oh, 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 sorry, I'm not cutting you off. But I don't know if you guys could hear my kids screaming during this pod while we were taping it. So shout out to Emily doing that with herself while she let me, you know, chase my dreams. Grass is greener. The grass is greener. <laughs> or maybe it's not, which we will discuss once this podcast is over. Peace out, everybody. Bye.